From the top of the ice palace, Tiffany could see for miles, and they were miles of snow. Only on the chalk was there any sign of green. It was an island. You see how I learn, said the wintersmith. The chalk is yours. So there summer will come, and you will be happy, and you will be my bride, and I will be happy, and everything will be happy. Happiness is when things are correct. Now I am human. I understand these things. Don't scream. Don't shout, said her third thoughts. Don't freeze up, either. Oh, I see, she said. And the rest of the world will stay in winter? No, there are some latitudes that never feel my frost, said the wintersmith. But the mountains, the plains as far as the circle sea, oh yes. Millions of people will die. But only once, you see. That is what makes it wonderful. And after that, no more death. And Tiffany saw it, like a hogswatch card, birds frozen to their twigs, horses and cows standing still in the fields, frozen grass like daggers, no smoke from any chimney, a world without death because there was nothing left to die, and everything glittering like tinsel. She nodded carefully. Very sensible, she said, but it would be a shame if nothing moved at all. That would be easy. Snow people, said the wintersmith. I can make them human. Iron enough to make a nail, said Tiffany. Yes, it is easy. I have eaten sausage, and I can think. I never thought before. I was a part. Now I am a part. Only when you are a part do you know who you are. You made me roses of ice, said Tiffany. Yes, already I was becoming. But the roses melted at dawn, Tiffany added to herself, and glanced at the pale yellow sun. It had just enough strength to make the wintersmith sparkle. He does think like a human, she thought, looking into the odd smile. He thinks like a human who's never met another human. He's cackling. He's so mad he will never understand how mad he is. He just doesn't have a clue what human means. He doesn't know what horrors he's planning. He just doesn't understand. And he's so happy, he's almost sweet. Rob Anybody banged on Roland's helmet. Get on with it, laddie, he demanded. Roland stared at the glowing figure. This can't be Tiffany. Ach, she's a goddess. She can look like anything, said Rob Anybody. Just a wee peck on the cheek, okay? Don't I get enthusiastic? We haven't got all day. A wee peck and we're offski. Something butted Roland on the ankle. It was a blue cheese. Dinner fascius celebut Horace. He just wants you to do the right thing, said the mad feagle, whom Roland had come to know as Daft Woolly. He went closer, with the glow crackling around him, because no man wants to be a coward in front of a cheese. This is kind of embarrassing, he said. Grivens, get on we it, will you? Roland leaned forward and pecked the sleeping cheek. The sleeper opened her eyes, and he took a step back very quickly. That's not Tiffany aching, he said, and blinked. Bogles were as thick around him as grass stems. Now take her by the hand and run, said Rob anybody. The bogles will turn nasty when they see we're leaving. He banged cheerfully on the side of the helmet and added, 
But that's okay, right, cause you have a plan. I hope I've got it right, though, said Roland. My aunts say I'm too clever by half. Glad to hear it, said Rob anybody, cause that's much better than being too stupid by three quarters. Now grab the lady and run. Roland tried to avoid the stare of the girl as he took her hand and pulled her gently off the slab. She said something in a language he couldn't understand, except that it sounded as though there were a question mark on the end of it. I'm here to rescue you, he said. She looked at him with the golden eyes of a snake. The sheep girl is in trouble, she said in a voice full of unpleasant echoes and hisses. So sad. So sad. Well, ah, uh, we'd better run, he managed. Whoever you are. The not Tiffany gave him a smile. It was an uncomfortable one with a bit of a smirk in it. They ran. How do you fight the bogles? he panted when the Fiegel army jogged through the caves. Ach, they didn't like the taste of us over much, said Rob anybody as the shadows parted. It may be, cause we think about the drinking a lot. It makes them squiffy. Keep moving. And it was at this point that the bogles struck, although that was hardly the right word. It was more like running into a wall of whispers. Nothing grabbed. There were no claws. If thousands of tiny weak things like shrimps or flies were trying to stop someone, this would be how it felt. But the ferryman was waiting. He raised a hand as Roland staggered toward the boat. That will be six pennies, he said. Six, said Roland. Ach, we wasna doon here more than two hours, and bang went sixpence, said Daft Woolly. One one-day round trip, one one-way, said the ferryman. I don't have that much, Roland shouted. He was beginning to feel little tugs in his head now. Thoughts had to push hard to get as far as his mouth. Leave this to me, said Rob anybody. He turned to look down on his fellow feagles and banged on Roland's helmet for silence. Okay, lads, he announced. We're no leaving. What? said the ferryman. Oh, no, you leave. I'm not having you down here again. We're still finding the bottles from last time. Come on, get on the boat this minute. Crivens, we cannot do that, pal, said Rob anybody. We're under a geese to help this lad you can. Where he doesna go, we dinna go. People are not supposed to want to stay here, snapped the ferryman. Ach, we'll soon have the old place jumping again, said Rob anybody, grinning. The ferryman drummed his fingers on the pole. They made a clicking sound, like dice. Oh. All right, then. But, and I want to be clear on this, there is to be no singing. Roland dragged the girl onto the boat. The bogles kept clear of that, at least, but as the ferryman pushed away from the shore, Big Yan kicked Roland on the boot and pointed upward. Scribbles of orange light, hundreds of them, were moving across the roof of the cavern. There were more of them on the opposite shore. How's the plan going, Mr. Hero? asked Rob anybody quietly as he climbed down from the boy's helmet. I'm waiting for the opportune moment, said Roland haughtily. He turned to look at the not Tiffany. I'm here to get you out, he said, trying not to look directly at her eyes. You, said the not Tiffany, as if the idea were amusing. Well, us, Roland corrected himself. Everything is... There was a bump as the boat grounded on the farther shore, where the bogles were as thick as standing corn. Off you go, then, 
said Big Yan. Roland pulled the knot Tiffany along the path for a few steps and stopped. When he blinked, the path ahead was a writhing orange mass. He could feel the little pulls on him, no stronger than a breeze. But they were in his brain, too, cold and nibbling. This was stupid. It couldn't work. He wouldn't be able to do it. He wasn't any good at this sort of thing. He was wayward and inconsiderate and disobedient, just like his aunts said. Behind him, Daft Woolly shouted in his cheerful way, Make your aunties proud of you. Roland half turned, suddenly angry. My aunts? Let me tell you about my aunts. No time, laddie, shouted Rob anybody. Get on wi' it. Roland looked around, his mind on fire. Our memories are real, he thought, and I will not stand for this. He turned to the not Tiffany and said, Don't be afraid. Then he held out his left hand and whispered under his breath, I remember a sword. When he shut his eyes, there it was, so light he could barely feel it, so thin he could hardly see it, a line in the air that was made up mostly of sharpness. He'd killed a thousand enemies with it, in the mirror. It was never too heavy. It moved like part of him, and here it was, a weapon that chopped away everything that clung and lied and stole. Maybe you can make a hero all in one go, said Rob anybody thoughtfully, as Bogles scribbled themselves into existence and died. He turned to Daft Woolly. Daft Woolly, he said, can you bring to mind when it was I told you that sometimes you say exactly the right thing? Daft Woolly looked baffled. No that you mention it, Rob. I dinna recall you ever saying that, ever. Aye, said Rob. Weel, if I had done, just now would have been one of those times. Daft Woolly looked worried. That's all right, though, aye. I said something right. Aye, you did, Daft Woolly. At first, I'm proud of you, said Rob. Daft Woolly's face split in an enormous grin. Crivens, hey, lads, I said, but... Dinna get carried away, Rob added. As Roland swung the airy blade, the bogles parted like spiderwebs. There were more, always more, but the silver line always found them, cutting him free. They backed away, tried new shapes, recoiled from the heat of the anger in his head. The sword hummed. Bogles curled around the blade and squealed and sizzled into nothingness on the floor. And someone was banging on his helmet. They'd been doing so for quite a while. Huh? he said, opening his eyes. You've run out said Rob anybody. His chest heaving, Roland looked around. Eyes open or shut, the caves were empty of orange streaks. The knot Tiffany was watching him with a strange smile on her face. Either we get out new, said Rob, or you can hang around and wait for some more, maybe. And here they come, said Billy Bigchin. He pointed across the river. A pure mass of orange was pouring into the cave, so many bogles that there was no space between them. Roland hesitated, still fighting for breath. I'll tell you what, said Rob anybody, soothingly. If you're a good boy and rescue the lady, we'll bring you down here another time with some sandwiches so's we can make a day of it. Roland blinked. Er, yes, he said. Um, sorry. I don't know what happened just then. Offski time, yelled Big Yan. Roland grabbed the hand of the knot Tiffany. And don't look back until we're well out of here said Rob anybody. It's kind of traditional. On the top of the tower, 
The ice crown appeared in the wintersmith's pale hands. It shone more than diamonds could, even in the pale sunlight. It was purest ice, without bubbles, lines, or flaw. I made this for you, he said. The summer lady will never wear it, he added sadly. It fit perfectly. It didn't feel cold. He stepped back. And now it is done, said the wintersmith. There is something I have to do too, said Tiffany. But first, there's something I have to know. You found the things that make a man. Yes. How did you find out what they were? The wintersmith proudly told her about the children, while Tiffany breathed carefully, forcing herself to relax. His logic was very logical. After all, if a carrot and two pieces of coal can make a heap of snow a snowman, then a big bucket of salts and gases and metal should certainly make him a human. It made sense, at least sense to the wintersmith. But you see, you need to know the whole song, said Tiffany. It is mostly only about what humans are made of. It isn't about what humans are. There were some things that I could not find, said the wintersmith. They made no sense. They had no substance. Yes, said Tiffany, nodding sadly. The last three lines, I expect, which are the whole point. I'm really sorry about that. But I will find them, said the wintersmith. I will. I hope you do one day, said Tiffany. Now, have you ever heard of Boffo? What is this Boffo? It was not in the song, said the wintersmith, looking uneasy. Oh, Boffo is how humans change the world by fooling themselves, said Tiffany. It's wonderful. And Boffo says that things have no power that humans don't put there. You can make things magical, but you can't magically make a human out of things. It's just a nail in your heart. Only a nail. And the time has come, and I know what to do, she thought dreamily. I know how the story has to end. I must end it in the right kind of way. She pulled the wintersmith toward her and saw the look of astonishment on his face. She felt light-headed, as though her feet weren't touching the floor. The world became simpler. It was a tunnel leading to the future. There was nothing to see but the wintersmith's cold face, nothing to hear but her own breathing, nothing to feel but the warmth of the sun on her hair. It wasn't the fiery globe of summer, but it was still much bigger than any bonfire could ever be. Where this takes me, there I choose to go, she told herself, letting the warmth pour into her. I choose. This I choose to do. And I'm going to have to stand on tiptoe, she added. Thunder on my right hand, lightning in my left hand, fire above me. Please, she said. Take the winter away. Go back to your mountains. Please. Frost in front of me. No. I am winter. I cannot be anything else. Then you cannot be human, said Tiffany. The last three lines are Strength enough to build a home. Time enough to hold a child. Love enough to break a heart. Balance and it came quickly, out of nowhere, lifting her up inside. The centre of the seesaw does not move. It feels neither upness nor downness. It is balanced. Balance.
and his lips were like blue ice. She'd cry later for the wintersmith who wanted to be human. Balance. And the old Kelder had once told her, There's a little bitty bit inside you that will na melt and flow. Time to thaw. She shut her eyes and kissed the wintersmith and drew down the sun. Frost to fire. The entire top of the ice palace melted in a flash of white light that cast shadows on walls a hundred miles away. A pillar of steam roared up, stitched with lightning, and spread out above the world like an umbrella covering the sun. Then it began to fall back as a soft, warm rain that punched little wormholes in the snow. Tiffany, her head usually so full of thoughts, hadn't got a thought to spare. She lay on a slab of ice in the soft rain and listened to the palace collapse around her. There are times when everything that you can do has been done, and there's nothing for it now but to curl up and wait for the thunder to die down. There was something else in the air, too, a golden glint that vanished when she tried to look at it and then turned up again in the corner of her eye. The palace was melting like a waterfall. The slab she lay on half slid and half floated down a staircase that was turning into a river. Above her, huge pillars fell but went from ice to a gush of warm water in midair, so that what crashed down was spray. Goodbye to the glittering crown, Tiffany thought, with a touch of regret. Goodbye to the dress made of dancing light, and goodbye to the ice roses and the snowflakes. Such a shame. Such a shame. And then there was grass under her, and so much water pouring past her that it was a case of get up or drown. She managed to get to her knees at least, and waited until it was possible to stand up without being knocked over. You have something of mine, child, said a voice behind her. She turned, and golden light rushed into a shape. It was her own shape, but her eyes were odd like a snake's. Right here and now, with the roaring of the heat of the sun still filling her ears, this didn't seem very amazing. Slowly, Tiffany took the cornucopia out of her pocket and handed it over. You are the summer lady, aren't you? she asked. And you are the sheep girl who would be me. There was a hiss to the words. I didn't want to be, said Tiffany hurriedly. Why do you look like me? The summer lady sat down on the turf. It is very strange to watch yourself, and Tiffany noticed she had a small mole on the back of her neck. It's called resonance, she said. Do you know what that is? It means vibrating with, said Tiffany. How does a sheep girl know that? I have a dictionary, said Tiffany, and I'm a witch, thank you. Well, while you were picking up things from me, I've been picking up things from you. Clever sheep witch, said the summer lady. She was beginning to remind Tiffany a lot of anagramma. That was actually a relief. She didn't sound wise or nice. She was just another person, who happened to be very powerful, but not frighteningly smart, and was, frankly, a bit annoying. What's your real shape? Tiffany asked. The shape of heat on a road, or the shape of the smell of apples. Nice reply, Tiffany thought, but not helpful as such. Tiffany sat down next to the goddess. Am I in trouble? she asked. Because of what you did to the wintersmith? No, 
He has to die every year, as do I. We die and sleep and wake. Besides, you were entertaining. Oh, I was entertaining, was I? said Tiffany, her eyes narrowing. What is it you want? asked the summer lady. Yes, thought Tiffany, just like anagramma, wouldn't spot a hint a mile high. Want, said Tiffany, nothing. Just the summer, thank you. The summer lady looked puzzled. But humans always want something from gods. But witches don't accept payment. Green grass and blue skies will do. What? You'll get those anyway. The summer lady sounded both confused and angry. And Tiffany was quite happy about this, in a small and spiteful way. Good, she said. You saved the world from the wintersmith. Actually, I saved it from a silly girl, Miss Summer. I put right what I put wrong. One simple mistake. You'd be a silly girl not to accept a reward. I'd be a sensible young woman to refuse one, said Tiffany. And it felt good to say that. Winter is over. I know. I've seen it through. Where it took me, there I chose to go. I chose when I danced with the wintersmith. The summer lady stood up. Remarkable, she said. And strange. And now we part. But first, some more things must be taken. Stand up, young woman. Tiffany did so, and when she looked into the face of summer, golden eyes became pits that drew her in. And then the summer filled her up. It must have been for only a few seconds, but inside them it went on for much longer. She felt what it was like to be the breeze through the green corn on a spring day. To ripen an apple. To make the salmon leap the rapids. The sensations came all at once and merged into one great big glistening golden-yellow feeling of summer that grew hotter. Now the sun turned red in a burning sky. Tiffany drifted through air like warm oil into the searing calm of deep deserts where even camels die. There was no living thing, nothing moved except ash. She drifted down a dried-up riverbed with pure white animal bones on the banks. There was no mud, not one drop of moisture in this oven of a land. This was a river of stones, agates, banded like a cat's eye, garnets lying loose, thunder eggs with their rings of colour, stones of brown, orange, creamy white, some with black veins, all polished by the heat. Here is the heart of the summer, hissed the voice of the summer lady. Fear me as much as the winter smith. We are not yours, though you give us shapes and names. Fire and ice we are, in balance. Do not come between us again. And now, at last, there was movement. From out of gaps between the stones, they came like stones brought alive, bronze and red, umber and yellow, black and white, with harlequin patterns and deadly, gleaming scales. The snakes tested the boiling air with their forked tongues and hissed triumphantly. The vision vanished. The world came back. The water had poured away. The everlasting wind had teased the fogs and steams into long streamers of cloud, but the unconquered sun was finding its way through. And, as always happens, and happens far too soon, the strange and wonderful becomes a memory, and a memory becomes a dream. Tomorrow it's gone.
Tiffany walked across the grass where the palace had been. There were a few pieces of ice left, but they would be gone in an hour. There were the clouds, but clouds drifted away. The normal world pressed in on her, with its dull little songs. She was walking on a stage after the play was over, and who now could say it had ever happened? Something sizzled on the grass. Tiffany reached down and picked up a piece of metal. It was still warm with the last of the heat that had twisted it out of shape, but you could see that it had once been a nail. No, I won't take a gift to make the giver feel better, she thought. Why should I? I'll find my own gifts. I was entertaining to her, that's all. But him? He made me roses and icebergs and frost and never understood. She turned suddenly at the sound of voices. The feagles came bounding over the slope of the downs at a speed just fast enough for a human to keep up. And Roland was keeping up, panting a little, his overlarge chainmail making him run like a duck. She laughed. Two weeks later, Tiffany went back to Lanka. Roland took her as far as two shirts, and the pointy hat took her the rest of the way. That was a bit of luck. The driver remembered Miss Tick, and since there was a spare space on the roof of the coach, he wasn't prepared to go through all that again. The roads were flooded, the ditches gurgled, the swollen rivers sucked at the bridges. First, she visited Nanny Og, who had to be told everything. That saved some time, because once you've told Nanny Og, you've more or less told everyone else. When she heard exactly what Tiffany had done to the wintersmith, she laughed and laughed. Tiffany borrowed Nanny's broomstick and flew slowly across the forests to Miss Treason's cottage. Things were going on. In the clearing, several men were digging the vegetable area, and lots of people were hanging around the door, so she landed back in the woods, shoved the broom into a rabbit hole and her hat under a bush, and walked back on foot. Stuck in a birch tree where the track entered the clearing was... A doll, maybe, made out of lots of twigs bound together. It was new and a bit worrying. That was probably the idea. No one saw her raise the catch on the scullery door or slip inside the cottage. She leaned against the kitchen wall and went quiet. From the next room came the unmistakable voice of anagramma at her most typically anagrammatical. Only a tree, you understand? Cut it up and share the wood, agreed? And now shake hands. Go on, I mean it. Properly, or else I'll get angry. Good. That feels better, doesn't it? Let's have no more of this silliness. After ten minutes of listening to people being scolded, grumbled at, and generally prodded, Tiffany crept out again, cut through the woods, and walked into the clearing via the track. There was a woman hurrying toward her, but she stopped when Tiffany said, Excuse me, is there a witch near here? Oh, yes said the woman, and gave Tiffany a hard stare. You're not from around here, are you? No, said Tiffany, and thought. I lived here for months, Mrs. Carter, and I saw you most days. But I always wore the hat. People always talk to the hat. Without the hat, I'm in disguise. Well, there's Miss Hawkin, said Mrs. Carter, as if reluctant to give away a secret. Be careful, though. She leaned forward and lowered her voice. She turns into a terrible monster when she's angry. I've seen her. She's all right with us, of course, she added. Lots of young witches have been coming to learn things from her. Gosh, she must be good. She's amazing, Mrs. Carter went on. She'd only been here five minutes and she seemed to know all about us. 
Amazing, said Tiffany. You'd think that somebody wrote it all down, twice. But that wouldn't be interesting enough, would it? And who would believe that a real witch bought her face from Boffo? And she's got a cauldron that bubbles green, Mrs Carter said with great pride. All down the sides, that's proper witching, that is. It sounds like it, said Tiffany. No witch she'd met had done anything with a cauldron apart from make stew. But somehow people believed in their hearts that a witch's cauldron should bubble green. And that must be why Mr Boffo sold item 61, bubbling green cauldron kit, $14, extra sachets of green, $1 each. Well, it worked. It probably shouldn't, but people were people. She didn't think Anagramma would be particularly interested in a visit right now, especially from someone who'd read all the way through the Boffo catalogue. So she retrieved her broom and headed on to Granny Weatherwax's cottage. There was a chicken run out in the back garden now. It had been carefully woven out of pliable hazel, and contented works were coming from the other side. Granny Weatherwax was coming out of the back door. She looked at Tiffany as if the girl had just come back from a ten-minute stroll. I've got business down in the town right now, she said. It wouldn't worry me if you came too. That was, from Granny, as good as a brass band and an illuminated scroll of welcome. Tiffany fell in alongside her as she strode off along the track. I hope I find you well, Mistress Weatherwax, she said, hurrying to keep up. I'm still here after another winter, that's all I know, said Granny. You look well, girl. Oh, yes. We saw the steam from up here, said Granny. Tiffany said nothing. That was it? Well, yes. From Granny, that would be it. After a while, Granny said, Come back to see your young friends, eh? Tiffany took a deep breath. She'd been through this in her head dozens of times. What she would say, what Granny would say, what she would shout, what Granny would shout. You planned it, didn't you? she said. If you'd suggested one of the others, they'd probably have got the cottage, so you suggested me. And you knew, you just knew that I'd help her. And it's all worked out, hasn't it? I bet every witch in the mountains knows what happened by now. I bet Mrs Earwig is seething. And the best bit is, no one got hurt. Anagrammas picked up where Miss Treason left off. All the villagers are happy. And you've won. Oh, I expect you'll say it was to keep me busy and teach me important things and keep my mind off the wintersmith, but you still won. Granny Weatherwax walked on calmly. Then she said, I see you got your little trinket back. It was like having a bolt of lightning and then not getting any thunder, or throwing a pebble into a pool and not getting a splash. What? Oh, the, the horse, yes. Look, I... What kind of fish? A uh, pike, said Tiffany. Ah, some likes them, but they are too muddy for my taste. And that was it. Against Granny's calm, she had nowhere to go. She could nag, she could whine, and it wouldn't make any difference. Tiffany consoled herself with the fact that at least Granny knew that she knew. It wasn't much, but it was all she was going to get. And the horse ain't the only trinket I see, Granny continued. Magic, is it? She always stuck a on the end of any magic she disapproved of. Tiffany glanced down at the ring on her finger. It had a dull shine. It had never rust while she wore it, the blacksmith had told her, because of the oils in her skin. He'd even taken the time to cut little snowflakes in it with a tiny chisel. It's just a ring I had made out of a nail, she said. Iron enough to make a ring, said Granny, and Tiffany stopped dead.
Did she really get into people's minds? It had to be something like that. And why did you decide you wanted a ring? said Granny. For all sorts of reasons that never quite managed to be clear in Tiffany's head, she knew. All she could think of to say was, It seemed like a good idea at the time. She waited for the explosion. Then it probably was, said Granny mildly. She stopped, pointed away from the path, in the direction of the town and Naniog's house, and said, I put the fence around it. It's got other things protecting it, you may be sure of that. Some beasts is just too stupid to scare. It was the oak tree sapling, already five feet high. A fence of poles and woven branches surrounded it. Growing fast for oak, said Granny. I'm keeping an eye on it. But come on, I don't want to miss it. She set off again, covering the ground fast. Bewildered, and he ran after her. Miss what? She answered. Pity for that. Up here. They arts up here. Granny hurried along little paths and behind gardens and came out into the Granny hurried along little paths and behind gardens and came out into the town square, which was thronged with people. Small stalls had been set up. A lot of people were standing around in the slightly hopeless why are we here way of crowds who are doing what their hearts want to do, but their heads feel embarrassed about. But at least there were hot things on sticks to eat. There were lots of white chickens, too. Very good eggs, Nanny had said, so it would have been a shame to kill them. Granny walked to the front of the crowd. There was no need to push people out of the way. They just moved sideways without noticing. They'd arrived just in time. Children came running along the road to the bridge, only just ahead of the dancers, who, as they trudged along, seemed like quite homely and ordinary men, men Tiffany'd seen often, working in forges or driving carts. They all wore white clothes, or at least clothes that had been white once, and like the audience, they looked a bit sheepish, their expressions suggesting that this was all just a bit of fun, really, not to be taken seriously. They were even waving to people in the crowd. Tiffany looked around and saw Miss Tick, and Nanny, and even Mrs Earwig, nearly every witch she knew. Oh, and there was Anagramma, minus Mr Boffo's little devices, and looking very proud. It wasn't like this last autumn, she thought. It was dark and quiet and solemn and hidden, everything that this isn't. Who watched it from the shadows? Who is watching now from the light? Who is here in secret? A drummer and a man with an accordion pushed their way through the crowd, along with the local pub owner carrying eight pints of beer on a tray. Because no grown man is going to dance in front of his friends with ribbons around his hat and bells on his trousers without the clear prospect of a large drink. When the noise had died down a bit, the drummer beat the drum a few times, and the accordionist played a long drawn-out chord, the legal signal that a Morris dance is about to begin, and people who hang around after this have only got themselves to blame. The two-man band struck up. The men, in two lines of three facing each other, counted the beat and then leapt. Tiffany turned to Granny as twelve hobnailed boots crashed to the ground, throwing up sparks. Tell me how to take away pain, she said, above the noise of the dance. Crash! It's hard, said Granny, not taking her eyes off the dancers. Crash went the boots again. You can move it out of the body. Crash, sometimes, or hide it, or make a cage for it and carry it away. And all of it's dangerous, and it will kill you if you don't respect it, young woman. It is all price and no profit. You are asking me to tell you how to put your hand in a lion's mouth. Crash. I must know. To help the Baron. It's bad. There is a lot I have to do. This you choose to do? said Granny, still watching. Yes. Crash. 
This is your baron who doesn't like witches, said Granny, her gaze going from face to face in the crowd. But who does like witches until they need one, Mistress Weatherwax, said Tiffany sweetly. Crash. This is a reckoning, Mistress Weatherwax, Tiffany added. After all, once you've kissed the wintersmith, you're in the mood to dare. And Granny Weatherwax smiled, as if she'd done all that was expected of her. Ha! Is it now? she said. Very well. Come and see me again before you go, and we'll see what you may take back with you. And I hopes you can close the doors you're opening. Now watch the people. Sometimes you see her. Tiffany paid attention to the dance. The fool had turned up without her noticing, wandering around collecting money in his greasy top hat. If a girl looked as though she'd squeal if he kissed her, he gave her a kiss. And sometimes, without any warning, he'd spring off into the dance, spinning through the men with never a foot in the wrong place. Then Tiffany saw it. The eyes of a woman on the other side of the dance flashed gold just for a moment. Once she'd seen it, she saw it again, in the eyes of a boy, a girl, the man holding the beer, moving around to watch the fool. Summer's here, said Tiffany, and realised that she was tapping her foot to the beat. She realised it because a heavier boot had just trodden on it and pinned it gently but firmly to the ground. Beside it, you looked up at her in blue-eyed innocence that became, for the briefest fragment of a second, the lazy golden eyes of a snake. She's meant to be, said Granny Weatherwax, removing her boot. A few coppers for luck, miss, said a voice close by, and there was the sound of money being shaken in an ancient hat. Tiffany turned and looked into purple-grey eyes. The face around them was lined and tanned and grinning. He had a gold earring. A copper or two from a lovely lady, he wheedled. Silver or gold, maybe. Sometimes, Tiffany thought, you just know how it all should go. Iron, she said, taking the ring off her finger and dropping it into the hat. The fool picked it out delicately and flipped it into the air. Tiffany's eye followed it, but somehow it wasn't in the air any more, but was glistening on the man's finger. Iron's enough he said, and gave her a sudden kiss on the cheek. It was only slightly chilly. The galleries inside the Fiegel Mound were crowded but hushed. This was important. The honour of the clan was at stake here. In the middle was a large book, taller than Rob and filled with colourful pictures. It was quite muddy from its journey down into the mound. Rob had been challenged. For years he'd thought himself to be a hero, and then the Hag of Hags had said he wasna, nor really. Weel, you couldna argue with the Hag of Hags, but he was going to rise to the challenge, oh aye, so he was, or his name wasna Rob anybody. Where's Maku? he read. Is that Maku? It gaze cluck. It is a, a, a chicken. It is no Maku. And then there's this wee painting o' a couple of chickens. That's another page, right? It is indeed, Rob, said Billy Big Chin. There was a cheer from the assembled feagles as Rob ran around the book, waving his hands in the air. And this one is a lot harder than Abka, right? He said, when he'd done the circuit. That one was easy, and a very predictable plot. Whoever written that book didn't stretch himself in my opinion. You mean the ABC, said Billy Big Chin. Aye, Rob anybody jumped up and down and punched the air a few times. Got something a wee bit tougher? The Gonagall 
looked at the stack of battered books the Feagles had, in various ways, collected. Something I can get my teeth into, Rob added. A big book. Well, this one's called Principles of Modern Accountancy, said Billy, doubtfully. And is that a big heroic book to read? said Rob, running on the spot. Aye, probably, but... Rob anybody held up a hand for silence and looked across at Jeanie, who had a crowd of little feagles surrounding her. She was smiling at him, and his sons were staring at their father in silent astonishment. One day, Rob thought, they'll be able to walk up to even the longest words and give them a good kicking. Not even commas and those tricksy semicolonses will stop them. He had to be a hero. I'm feeling good about this reading, said Rob anybody. Bring it on! And he read Principles of Modern Accountancy all morning. But just to make it interesting, he put lots of dragons in it. Author's Note The Morris Dance Is traditionally danced on May the 1st to welcome in the summer. Its history is a bit confused, possibly because it's often danced near pubs, but it is now the English folk dance. The dancers usually wear white and have bells sewn on their clothes. It is danced by both men and women, and is certainly now danced in the United States too. I know this because I saw the Dark Morris danced in a bookshop in Chicago some years ago. I'd invented the Dark Morris for another book called Reaper Man, at least I think I invented it, and a Morris team, officially known as a side, turned up in all black, just for me. They danced it in silence and perfect time without the music and bells of the summer dance. It was beautifully done, but it was also a bit creepy, so it might not be a good idea to try it at home. We hope you've enjoyed this program from Harper Children's Audio. For more information about the broad range of titles from Harper Audio, Harper Children's Audio, and Cadman, please visit our website at www.harperaudio.com. You can also call 1-800-331-3761. Thank you for listening.